I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this podcast, which is an abridged version of the television interview that I did with Lindsay Lohan as part of my In Conversation series for W. This podcast is brought to you by UKTV Play, the free on-demand service. Tonight, I'm going to be in conversation with an actress who was already earning $7 million a film by the time she was 18. She then went through a period of her life where she was a target for the tabloids, before now being a human rights advocate and a spokesperson for Syrian refugees. Tonight, I'll be in conversation with Lindsay Lohan. Thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for for doing the show. Thank you for having me. Now you've just spent time in Turkey. Mm. Uh, can you tell us what you've been doing there? Because I was I was quite surprised. I saw a news story with you, with the president and the work that you've been doing with the Syrian refugees. I've been going there for the past four months. I stayed there and and I hurt my finger on my friend's boat, so it kind okay. of kept me there. So. I got to the hospital and I had a really good doctor and they put my finger back together and the nails growing back and I have all nerve endings. And I stayed there and that moment when that happened with my finger, I, I realized, I was like, there's a reason that I'm still here. And this, and this is not just BS, this, yeah. is, this really happened. And I had this feeling and I said, there's something, you know, everything's going on in this world, all these things are happening in Syria. There's a lot of, and I love working with children. I did it in India, I've done it, you know, I've been working with kids since I was, since I was a kid. So I said, I want to go, I want to meet people that can take me to go to Antep and go to the refugee camps, the container camps. And so I, I ended up staying. If I didn't, if that didn't happen to my finger, I was flying that morning. Like I was going to fly after that. So I stayed and I went to Antep and I met with Fatma, the mayor of Antep, and I went to these container camps. When I got back to Istanbul from Antep, I met with this family and I walked into where they were living and I don't even know words can express it. They were living in a room, basically. I mean, they had no heating, they had no lighting. There was nothing there, literally nothing there. Yeah. The father had his legs blown off in Syria. The mother had left the family. And I've been seeing this family over and over and going to check on them. And I don't go with cameras and acknowledgement. I just, I go because the little girl now, her father has a phone and she sends me messages and she's learning yeah. English. And that's the first language they learn in school there. So it's a, it's a part of me now. I can't personally speak on something I haven't like lived through in my own way. That I haven't walked through, seen, checked out, looked at, felt. You need to actually live through an experience to discuss it and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna say something I don't want to say but we have a president now that basically has never lived through any of these things that he's changing yeah that's really scary for us as British people you know Donald Trump comes in and we all thought to be honest it would never happen and I have a very pragmatic view because you look at it and go okay it's a democratic country they elected them you can't say everyone's an idiot but every time something <laughs> comes out of his mouth you think is this a joke you know, it was really funny the other day when I was sitting with President Erdogan. I, I get yeah. to say that now. <laughs> it sounds really cool. <laughs> um, but he, was, he said something that really hit me. He has spent over, well, 
$25 billion in letting people into his country and helping them, refugees. Whereas President Donald Trump is building a wall that will cost $25 billion yeah. to keep people out. Yeah. That says a lot. But for you as well, you have been, you know, you've had, you've had a history of being lambasted by, by the tabloids of various things. But yeah. one of the things that struck me is there, there was an occasion where you wore a headscarf mm. and then another occasion where you were seeing carrying a copy of the Quran and you, you ended up suffering abuse for that, which just seems to... Yeah. to I, I don't know whether we're more tolerant in England or what, but to me, that just seems such a, a fickle thing for people to, to attack you for. Well, I'm a very spiritual person and I believe in all religions. Um, and I'm, you know, I was raised Catholic and, and my mother always kept me... My sister's Buddhist, but I always... I'm always interested in learning different cultures, and I think that's the main point of it. And when I was in America, I felt very subjected, always, you know, because I had certain things that I put myself in bad situations of, but I had certain moments where anything that I found of solace to me, people wanted to objectify it and make it look like a bad mm. thing. Yeah. And, and that was really scary for me. Like, do you think I feel safe going to USA right now? I don't think so. Well, I, I, as you say, to be honest, when, when we book any guest, you look at research, and you, you, if I don't know the person like I didn't know you personally, you have a preconceived idea of them. I... I I couldn't believe some of the some of the vitriol that has been directed at you throughout your life, but particularly over yeah. things like that, like that recent thing with the headscarf. Well, it kind of started with my father. I mean, he was partners with Jordan Belfort. Uh, so uh, <laughs> explain that to people who don't know the English No, people. I just grew up and, you know, my father was working on Wall Street and yeah. he went through that whole Wolf of Wall Street phase with him. So I, I was subjected to a lot of things at a very early age in life. Um, and people kind of harped on that. And, and my father lost touch with being with his daughter and I think that kind of upset him and he just wanted to get in, in touch with me and I didn't want to deal with him because he was too erratic. And, and my mom tried to stay strong for all of us and, and I said, I'm gonna take care of everybody. I'm gonna make sure everyone's okay. So I just worked because it was therapy for me being on set. So now I'm in a place, I said, when I turn 30 years old, I'm going to have my own company. I'm going to have my own studio. I'm going to have all my own things so that I don't have to answer to anyone. You've said the number of times that you have an empathy for, for children in of extreme course. circumstances. It's Although some people would say it's completely different, it seems also completely the same. Like you were in a model agency at the age of three and then you, you first started coming on television appearances about six or seven. But your first breakthrough film role that was massive was Parent Trap. What was great about it for you at that tender age, I mean, you were playing with Dennis Quaid and your accent. kind of living my life story at that oh, time. Oh, in, in what respect? You've got <laughs> a twin? My parents separated, so it was like I was trying to, I was always trying to fix everything as a kid. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you have to just let it go and let it live itself and let it fix itself. So, so for you, when you're you're looking at that time in your life, because all of a sudden you, you you were 12, you've been in a Hollywood film, but then you went home, you went back to normal life. And if you, you mentioned this this sort of relationship with your dad being being a little bit uh, disruptive, yeah. to say the least. Were you working to get away from it? No, you, I'm very you... close to my dad, actually. I really, he's a very strong character. Like, he raised me to always take care of everyone else, always take care of myself and make sure everyone's always okay. Yeah. Um, he always said, but he's never let anyone pay for you. <laughs> never so when I went me. on my first date and I paid for the check, it was really awkward. No, <laughs> kind of was like emasculating to the person I was with. Oh, yeah, but there's someone... I was like, my father going, told me, no one should ever pay for me. There's some guy somewhere probably pumping gas now going once. Yeah, it's called my no ex-fiancé. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but 
all of a sudden, you're, 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 you, you've become a star, you've become recognised, and as you said, uh, a real breadwinner because you were, you know, by the time you were 18, you, you were getting $7 million a film. That's not, that's not candy floss, man. Yeah. <laughs> According to my research and to yeah. the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> I play the fifth. <laughs> Um, no, I look, uh, for me, working, doing movies, I've never done anything because it's about the money. Yeah. I just like doing it. I'll never do anything because it's about signing that check or anything. Everything that I do, there's, there's a meaning behind all of it. It's doing a movie because then it takes someone out of their own moment for that situation <laughs> where you can sit in a room and forget about all the things you have to deal with. And you can relate and know that there's someone out there, whether it's the character on the screen or that person playing that character, that gets it. Mm. So that's why I like to make movies. Um, the philanthropic side of the things I do is because because that feeds my soul. Yeah. I mean, seeing these, you re actually look at, you're like, oh wait, I actually have a bed to sleep in tonight. Whereas these kids are sleeping on the floor, they don't know what a bed is. But the child that you were then, obviously, you know, the... Yeah, but we had to move houses a bunch of times to hide from things in my life and my dad and... He was there, and then he wasn't there, and he was great, and then he was scary. And, and I'm not painting my dad a bad picture. I love my father. He's a, he's a good man. He's changed. His life is very different now. He only works in helping other people. But I felt a responsibility at a very young age to make sure that my mom and my siblings didn't have to witness what I witnessed when my parents would fight. So uh, how do you mean what, what you witnessed? Just they would have bad fights, and I never wanted my siblings to be exposed to that. So I can't imagine what it feels like for a kid with a bomb going off next door. Yeah. That's worse than a fight. So, so I'm just very protective of children. I don't, yeah. I've always felt this need to just, if I have time and I feel like I'm not doing anything, then I might as well go do something and help other people. But you had this vehicle, I suppose, that gave you a degree of status, because within the family, you, you were contributing to the family, so you could... Well, my grandfather, I, my mom's dad, started St. Vincent de Paul, and he was in World War II, and he was a doctor. Yeah. Um, and when I got home from doing the parent trap, my father took me to Make-A-Wish, and I started working with kids from Make-A-Wish. He goes, you may have done this movie, but now you're going to work with kids, so you can see what people have and don't have. And so my dad gave me that light, and so did yeah. my grandfather, um, my mom's father and my dad. And that was really important. I think it was important that they, they kind of instilled that in me. Uh, because it kept me humble my whole life. You know, there's nothing like going back home and seeing your family and then recognizing. It's very easy in this world that we live in to have all of this really quick and then none of this really fast. Mm. So there has to be a middle ground somewhere. But that's not going to come from anywhere, not from a mother, not from a father, not from family, but from here. So you have to actually experience ups and downs to, in order to kind of level yourself, I think. Now you're talking as a, as a 30-year-old woman whose life, as we will no doubt go through has been amazing like you feel when i say amazing it has had massive highs and it's had massive lows but when yeah. you were in the middle of it when you were in those teenage years and and what you're what you're saying by about your dad seems like he's both wonderful and terrible he's he, he's, he's, he's like jekyll and Hyde. yeah he's the best <laughs> thing in your life and the worst thing in your life for any teenage child to manage that kind of parental relationship is difficult. When you look back at that, is there a point where you, where you wish you could have stopped it? You know, when I say stop it, not stop the, 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 the tension with your mum and dad, but stop the other thing, the work side of things. I don't think it was... I think it was out of my hands at that point. Yeah. It was a whirlwind, you know? Um, I think when you're in it, especially living in, like, L.A. and California with these people around that you barely even know mm. all the time and you think you're your friends. There was moments when I called my mom and I was, and my mom said, you need to come home. Yeah. 
And I was, and I just, but my head was in work mode, so I just kept going. I just kept like stepping on, like led, led, uh, led foot. You know, I was like kept yeah. going, and that was all I really knew at that moment. And Be then it hit me, and I was like, I want to come home. <laughs> But you, so you left home at 18 and went to California? No, I left at like turning 17. Yeah. When I started doing Mean Girls, I was 17 in Toronto. And from Toronto, um, I was, it was Freaky Friday, Mean Girls, and then I went back to LA. I should have gone back to New York. Yeah, yeah. I, I should have listened to my mother. <laughs> but, but I mean, also for people who perhaps not as familiar with your, your film career, I mean, it's massive. You've done 21 films. I was looking at this, 21 films, you've acted with 18 people who've, within their career, have been nominated for Academy Awards, for Oscars. You know, those 18 people between them have had either won or at least been nominated 57 times. So, like, your career is a career and, you know, your, your films have grossed over half go, a billion dollars. You think I don't dollars. get a little angry when the Hollywood Reform Press doesn't nominate me? No, that's what I mean. And sometimes when you look at it, the, the, the press portrayal of you would almost be like you're a reality star. You think, actually, yeah, this weird. is a talented actress who was played with the best actors of our generation. Thank you. I didn't watch Mean Girls when it come out. I mean, when Mean Girls come out, I probably was married with three kids, and it's not... It would be weird if you are watching that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to start... I watched the films with similar titles, but they were different. Okay, uh, I don't want to know about that. That's a whole different show. And, and, oh but God. you know what? I, I actually, actually really, really liked it, of that kind of rom-com teenage film. I thought it really funny. I mean, that's, that's still, it's like a cult film yeah. now. It's, it still gets seen, it still gets played. It, it, it's a great film. At that time, though, that was the pivotal point where you became, I guess, prey for the paparazzi. Yeah. Also, I was alone in L.A., so I think that people start to see that. And, and paparazzi in L.A., you know, they're people that are hired to drive into your car just to get that first reaction. Like, they're hired to do that specifically. But that's So I was like, maybe I just shouldn't... Everyone's like, just don't drive, Lindsay. Hire a driver. I was like, that's expensive to hire a driver every you day. You're not $7 million a film. <laughs> do you think you get all that? Yeah. I don't yeah, think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's... I was like, that's expensive. I don't, and I don't want to have a driver. I just... When I'm not working, I want to be able to, you know, drive Try to the normal, beach. And, yeah. But what I recognized was it's who... It's people, places, and things. So we, you put yourself in a situation where you know you're going to be photographed or watched after that. So it's just avoiding those situations. Yeah, but yeah. it's true. I mean, you are what you put yourself in. So I didn't want to hear that then. It took me till afterwards to figure that out. But was anyone telling you that? Yeah, of course. My mother was telling me that every day. Do you think your life would have been dramatically different if you'd have gone back to New York? I don't know. I can't change the past. I can't yeah. say what I was thinking at that moment when my mom called me and or would call me and ask me to come back home. I can't. I can only think about the future. Um, yeah. I don't think I would have listened. Yeah. I was like standing my ground. No. Yeah. This is my but, thing. <laughs> but also, you, you, as I say, you, as a, at a young age, you were financially independent, which very few people under the age of 20 are. You were financially independent. And but you, you don't know you, that you as a kid. Driven. Of course, you don't know. Don't but think what, about that. what I mean is, it gives you. That, that freedom to make those mistakes. Do you look back at that time and think, it, as you said before, it was a journey you had to go through to get to the place that you are now. Do you think it was a price worth paying? Yeah, I do. I really? think that moment when I, when my lawyer didn't know I was going to plead guilty when I had this DUI situation. Um, so D DUI? It was the first moment DUI, that I had no, that I didn't have to talk to anyone. Well, let, let me just explain DUI, because in England we call it drink driving. It's driving under the influence, isn't yeah. it? 
So, so you, you were done for driving under the influence the first time and then you were done a couple of times. I was 19. 19. And then they brought it, they kept it going for 10 years of my life. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what America does. It was like the poster child for, I don't know what. Well, that was one Making of the- Making a mistake. That was one of the things that, that I, I found as well, which I found quite shocking, is that yeah. there was eight, for eight years of your life you were on probation for something. I, yeah, so all that money, where'd that go to? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> Lawyers. So, but the, so you- I knew they wouldn't stop until they saw me behind bars. And I was like, maybe there's a reason, maybe God is saying something that I just, maybe I just need to see the scariest thing that I've seen to just experience it, to then never do it again. But- And it worked. When you're arrested, then you're put in solitary confinement for 14 days. And as you it said- It was supposed to be four days. And they were, they were suggesting it was because- Because it was a holiday that weekend. So those days didn't count. Really? <laughs> America. Thank you, Trump. <laughs> no, I remember being actually in jail and the TV, they put the TV on because they wouldn't put the clock so you didn't know what time it was ever. And they would change, they just took all the batteries out of the clocks and, and Obama was sitting on uh, The View in America and saying, yeah, I know Lindsay Lohan's in jail. And I literally screamed, well, then get me out. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the most, it was just the, the most surreal thing. I was like, my president's talking about me being in jail? What, why? There are more important things in the world. This podcast is sponsored by UK TV Play, the free on-demand service, where you can watch the TV shows you love from Dave, Yesterday, Really, and Drama, wherever you want, whenever you want. The home of BAFTA-nominated series Taskmaster and the critically acclaimed Red Dwarf, alongside other UK TV Play exclusive, including The White Princess and Most Haunted. UK TV Play offers free access to thousands of hours of comedy, drama, documentaries, and paranormal TV, all for free. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. With all the problems of growing up and maturity, re regardless of, of anybody, uh, and if you know addicts, how difficult it is to be an addict and grow up, but to grow up during that journey in the public eye. Yeah. And I think that the, the stress that that's got to put on somebody is, is very hard to, to try and relate to in normal life. I think my problem was is that I never paid attention to anyone saying anything, so I wasn't raised to think about it like that. You weren't raised to think that what you do becomes public? 
Yeah, not really. Because you... when I'm home, I'm home. Yeah. But since the age of 12, what you've done has been public. But I, my mother never kept magazines in the house. She never did any of that stuff with me around. I was just always working. Yeah. And I still am always working. Yeah. And, and again, it, this, is, this is the, I suppose, the difficulty when you become, I, I guess, a tabloid person. But I think but that you was don't my problem the... then. I didn't have anyone really... I didn't listen to my mom, I didn't go home. I didn't want to pay attention to any of the stuff, so I just kept doing, it's like a cycle. You either in a, like stay in a sick cycle or you stay in a good one. Yeah. You know, and, and I just was angry that every, all the work that I'd done was overshadowed by any photo that was taken. It's like my mom, my mom said one thing to me once. She's like, if you've dated all these guys, you'd be dead. <laughs> like, it's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> you seem to be the focus for so many people from those early 20s and it's carried on. And then you took that decision to come over to the UK and, and appear in a play. I think it was your first theatre experience in Speed, Speed the Plow. That was the scariest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and, and again, that was, there was a lot of things that I learned from, from, from you doing that. One is, that, as you said, the bravery to do it, you know, you're 28 years of age, uh, your career's at the rocky ride for a few years and you go in the most public, most, I suppose, uncontrolled environment. Because in a film set, you can say, can I do it again? Mm. On stage, yeah, it's, it's got to be right. And it's mammoth, it's not an easy And play. I knew, it's and he, he, he wrote me once, he's like, I'm watching you. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> How did you find that whole experience? I thought it was really amazing. The more I got more comfortable, uh, when you think of the West End, you don't think of young kids going to see a show in the West End and flying in from other countries going to sh see a show in the West End and dressing nice for the West End. So it was really inspiring for me. I really saw a different kind of culture go to see shows and plays. Um, and look, once I know something, I know it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, get, it kind of bores me if I have to keep doing it. But with, the, with this play specifically, it was a way for me to finally challenge myself again to do something that was out of my comfort zone and then kind of play with it in the character. And I related to the character because she's a young girl. I mean, yeah. I've never actually experienced that, but it was an interesting- She's a young girl and a producer's trying to better, yeah. basically, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that hasn't happened to me, but I was too young for that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I could, I could, I understood it. I was like, oh, I've met producers like this. Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's show people this. Let's, let's really show people how it's really like. Um, yeah, it was terrifying. I mean, it was really scary. Um, but also learning how, you know, when you do the matinee, the different crowds that come in and how it works. And, but just knowing every second that the second you are there and show up or don't show up, those people have flown in to see that show for that amount of time, whereas a movie you can always see, you can download it. This is the only chance they get to see that. So it's a different diligence that I had within myself and I really appreciated it and I like it. Yeah, well, all the reviews seem to suggest that you were the best thing, innit? Thank and you. They do, I mean, I've read them, I've just made that up. And, and I, I, again, it was something that I was surprised that I t the bravery of taking that, because I saw that No, I wanted to leave like the week yeah. before. I was like, I'm not, no. Yeah, because there's no I way realized, to go. I realised, I was like, oh my God, I'm so scared, I can't do it. You know, for somebody like me, th that's my job, I stand on stage, there is nowhere to hide. And surprisingly, now this is a, a bizarre coincidence, I saw a voice coach this morning, and I saw a voice coach because I'm going on tour, and so I'm going to do like 200 gigs, so I was there, Budgie, yeah. who was your voice coach, yeah. on, on Speed the Clap, Speed the Plow. Speed the Clown. Speed the Clown, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of jokes. <laughs> yeah. So I so 
She said she for that period of time that you were you were in the play, she got a little glimpse into it, and she said it was just bonkers. She said there would be stories in the papers about you doing things, and she knows you didn't do them because she was with you. Mm -hmm. She said you just make up lies, and she spoke to to your manager and your boyfriend at the time and said, "Is this <laughs> is this normal?" And he said, "That's it. That's a life that happens all the time." Yeah, you know what it is. Also, I think. When you get to a certain point in your life, for anyone at any age, like I'm a cancer, I'm, I'm a crab, I like to feel safe and be home. Safe is my most important word. You just realize it's like, what's left in going out that night or doing this that day or just, it's okay to be okay. Mm. And I think it's really easy to lose sight of that when you're in the midst of things and going and going and going. Sometimes you have to just stop and just sit with it. Yeah. And think and appreciate. And I think, you know, when I was living in California, I was always looking for the next thing because there was nothing was ever feeding me enough. I didn't know what it was. And then I went to work with kids and that really helped. Um, and that, that, cause that feeds me. My soul feels full then. Yeah. Um, selfishly, unselfishly, but I think it just, it, it takes that. It's a, life is a journey. You just have to be willing to live it. And that was one of the things that you seemed to say about when you came and did the play, you came to, to England. I found peace when I got to England, when I got to London, when I moved to London. I felt a lot safer. Just because the paparazzi were in, the pressure wasn't the same in terms of that. Yeah, and I started thinking about the business aspect of things and, and, I, was, and, and I really felt a good schedule. Um, and yeah, but also the press, the, le the legal terms of it here is very different. Like if you live on a Muse Street, they can't uh, come on the Muse Street and photograph you. Yeah. Whereas in America, it's free for all. Um, and they have this mentality of the more the better, which is not necessarily a good thing. Um, and, and my first movie I did here, so I felt like yeah. I kind of yeah. regained my youth when I moved back here. Yeah. And then started thinking about the future. What's your life like here? What 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 do, what do you do? Because as I say, meetings and seeing friends and family yeah. and. But what I mean is, you can move around London in a way you can't move around LA. You can walk around the streets. I haven't people been to body. LA and I don't know how long, and I'm so scared to go. <laughs> it's just so overwhelming. Just landing at the airport there is like, I get this like panic attack. Like I can't breathe. Is that just because of the the the? Just the just that moment of like just it's just weird for me. I haven't had that in a long time. Does that become normal though? Does that ever, it was there ever a phase in your life where you just went, if the paps don't turn up, it's not worth me walking out the door? No, Carl Lagerfeld told me, he goes, just imagine them as machine guns. Stand there quick and run. <laughs> well, that's not. Cause that's what it felt like. <laughs> that must be why he wears sunglasses yeah, all exactly. the time. He looks absolutely terrified. <laughs> But it's true. It's when, once you don't have that, it starts to feel like that. It's like yeah. that sound is like that shudder. It's just, it's startling. But this is the thing, like, you're, you're often thought of for things outside of your job. And that, that's what I was trying to say before, when you look at the roster of people you work with and, and, and the, the successful films you've been in, acting is something... You know, you're basically bloody good at it. Thank you, you. you know, and doing more of it is the thing that, to me, seems the bit that's missing. I don't know whether you want to move away from it or just go back to it under your own terms. Under my own terms. And theatre is something you would consider. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I loved doing the play. I loved that. And now... And everyone becomes your family every day. It's, like, more exciting. Every day is a new day, and I think it's great. And the time that you, you, you've spent in Syria and, and, and we're in Turkey with the Syrian refugees. Do you think that will be something you can ever walk away from? Is that a commitment that you've got to keep forever? Oh, no, that's a commitment. And that family is a commitment to me in Sultan Bayli, the Hussein family. That's, I mean, I will go and see them religiously and then there's some other projects that we're working on and 
moving some of the people from the camps that are in Turkey because there's such an overflow of it back into a no-fly zone in Syria past the border. So that's the next discussion. So I've been actually welcomed into those discussions now, which is really, I feel really honored to be a part of. So when you get, again, if you I'm gonna start documenting it. So we're working yeah. on a documentary of it, which will start probably in March. And you're doing that independent of any organization like Save the Children or UNICEF? I'm starting my own foundation, so I'm gonna do it myself. So for you as a person, if this transition in your life hadn't come where you, where you lost your finger, you stay, you, you get re-engaged with this, what do you think you would be doing? I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer that. No, the reason I asked that is because it's completely different. Look, I was in a very abusive relationship with my ex, and he was hitting me a lot, and I didn't know how to get out of it, and I did. And that was when things changed. Yeah. When I took control back in my life and said, no one's going to hurt me, I'm going to help other people, and I just need to focus on taking care of myself. But when you say he was hitting you, like, viol you know, physical abuse... Yeah. Are you... Again. And That's a hard thing. And I and I noticed, I looked back on it, I was like, oh my God, I saw my mom go through this, so I get it. I stayed because it was normal for me. You know, I, I hesitated then because I guess really I don't, I, I didn't know how to, how to ask you, but that was what I was going to ask, whether this was a, a repeat of your, your childhood. Of course, subliminally, as a child, you, you recognize, I mean, in psychiatry, I studied psychiatry, you study that those moments become it's almost like a safe chaos. So you just yeah. think it's it's normal, but it's not normal. Yeah. And I, I remember saying to myself that moment when he like ran out of my house, thank God. Uh, it was like, oh my God, I'm not gonna put myself through what my mother went through. No, I gotta go now. But this ends now. Yeah. But as somebody who's been a victim of domestic violence, both as a as a family member and as and as a, as an adult within a relationship, what message would you say to someone in that situation? Well, my father never was physically abusive to my mother in front of me. That never, I never saw that. Oh, okay, so. But before I was born, yeah, I've seen those photos. But for you now, there'll be people watching this, no doubt, who are victims of domestic violence and kind of mm. are locked in what you said that that almost that safe chaos. If, if, what would you say to somebody who came to you and said, look, this is what's happening to you? I would just take them with me and be like, let's get you out of here. I don't know. Um, I don't know because it's really hard to talk to someone when they're in that situation because they, it's, you know, you're scared, but you want to be strong, but you want to just make it calm. You don't really, I don't know. How, I don't know. I just prayed for him to go yeah. and he did. I just got by some angels, really. It was that bad. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't want anyone to know. So I just kept it, didn't talk about it. No, well, I'll be honest. Because for me, it's a d whole different situation the second it's public. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. And that's why yeah. I say sometimes the pressure on somebody with your level of celebrity is that almost like what I've just done to you. Then I've sort of said, well, you've been a victim of domestic abuse. Do you want to say something to someone else? And that's an unfair pressure. I've just felt I that. I just I've don't know what I would say. I don't, I would just hug them. <laughs> yeah from your point of view, to be able to talk about it and be strong enough about it and then... It's important to talk about things that happen to you. It's important to express what you go through in life. How else do you release it? Yeah, but again, you, you can talk about it if you're in a room with a therapist, but as you say, you talk about it and... My life's it's... public the way people want to make it anyway. Why not just be honest all the time? Yeah, you say that, but again, when I was talking before about, about when you were going through the, the roughest part of your life, you said, I don't want to go on that, I want to go on this. And f f because we were going, we were backtracking to a point that we'd already gone I know, yeah, and... I was just trying to understand the, the chronology. No, we're not going to have a fight. <laughs> Lindsay, you're half you're Irish. You're super serious now. You're half Irish, half Italian, you would twat me. I absolutely <laughs> know. For somebody who's been through rehab, who's been through addictions, who's been through domestic violence, they're your problems, but they're public 
and because of your celebrity, everyone knows about them. And everyone, then everyone goes, great, we need a spokesperson on, on alcoholism, we'll go to Lindsay. We need a spokesperson on addiction, we'll go to Lindsay. If they want a, a reference forget about point, all the movies, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's, that yep. becomes the, the discussion, not your career. Well, let's not, not use skill. this interview to make that continue to be the discussion. <laughs> no, but what I'm trying to say is, I'm trying to <laughs> somehow say a sentence We're thinking Little Mermaid, remember? I'm trying to break Walt it. Disney. What I'm trying to Dubai, do... Dubai, Disneyland, shiny lights, happy things, fireworks. No, what I'm trying to do Me is break too. It. I can't say my fucking sentence! <laughs> it's my show now. <laughs> no, that's what I'm trying to say is, is for you, so many things have happened that become public, so many things that people use as, as a way of understanding Lindsay Lohan, when in reality, the... The bigger things are the career that you've done, the, you know, the, the, the movies that have grossed over half a billion dollars, and now this work that you're doing now, which again, you're at the top table in that, you're in discussions about you know, refugee camps and moving people forward. That, to me, is the bigger story. And of all of, the, all of your career path, the thing that really stood out to me, and I think it's probably because I understand how hard it is being a live performer, is that decision to do the play in England at that time. Yeah. You know, that came after the, after the Lindsay series, that came after, after everything, and you're going, right, I'm going to now do something that really could hang me out to dry. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, that was, I think, super brave. It, again, speaking to, to, to uh, the voice coach that I was working with, she was saying, like, you could tell people were coming in the hope you'd fail. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things I've ever done. How do you see the rest of your future? Because to me, you've lived a hell of a life, but you're only 30 years old. I think I've just started everything I want to do by finally starting my own company, my own production company, own management company, starting my own charity. I think that everything, everything started after my 30th birthday. Yeah. And I, and I, and I weirdly knew that for some reason. Look, I, I, my mind doesn't stop working. Um, and Scott, my manager, would attest to that. <laughs> so his has to work halftime for me. Um, but there's so many things that I want to do and I'm actually doing them now. Mm. And, and it was other people controlling my life that kept me from doing it. Yeah. And now I actually just have no excuse, but to, everything falls on me. So yeah. it's my choice to do it, and it's mine. Yeah, well, that, again, I was reading something the other day about the adult personality isn't shaped until you're at least 25. You know, by the time you were 25... I was 30. You, yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean. By the time you are 25, you already lived a life. The five years from you being 25 to 30... Is, is an amazing career in itself. Yeah. And an, an amazing journey and, and life experience. The, the bit pre-25... Whatever happened is saying, oh, sorry, I don't mean to ask your age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm 30. You said it. I say it, like, loud and proud, and people look at me like, what? Oh, Over listen, there. listen, Linz, don't start. I, I, I'm 50, <laughs> right? I'm... F I know, you didn't start your comedic career until you were 40. I don't, no, no, listen, I'll, I'll, listen, you missed it. I'll say it again. I'm 50. He's 50. No, oh, what? no. The bit <laughs> I is, I say I'm 50 and go, you're not 50. Oh my God, sorry. I was Jesus, Lindsay. No, you're not. I'm fishing for a compliment. Are you really? So, Lindsay, I'm 50. What? Yeah, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you, you, there are stages in your life where you reach and you go, all right, I need to take a step. And so me, as, as a man of 50, I'm looking at that. I did a 40, I did a 30. But by the time I was 30, I, I, I could not have imagined that I'd lived the life that you lived, but also achieved what you've achieved. And, and the platform that you've got now moving forward, particularly 
as you said, with this work that you're doing with the Syrian refugees, a work that has often been missed by everybody else. I think it's just because people are scared because perception, public perception, is it's scary to be in these places. And so they don't show the positive side of me going yeah. there and getting in and out, and it's fine. And we only see the bad. Yeah. We only see the bad things. We don't see any of the good work that gets done. So people are scared. It's no one's fault, but, you know, it's social media. Yeah. It's, we live in a different world these days. Absolutely. I think we all wish you well. Thank you. And I think we'd all agree that's been a wonderful conversation. I hope you're not just saying that just to say it. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it was a conversation where at times I don't know which fucking way we were going, no. <laughs> I got it back in the end. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Lindsay Law. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by UK TV Play, the free on-demand service. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.